go ahead and start our message here. Uh, opening scriptures are uh, uh, Psalm 89, verses 1 and 2, and then 5 through 8. David writes, I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. With my mouth will I make known your faithfulness to all generations. For I have (coughs) said, mercy shall be built up forever. Your faithfulness you establish in the very heavens. And the heavens will praise your wonders, O Lord. Your faithfulness also in the assembly of the saints. For who in the heavens can be compared to the Lord? Who among the sons of the mighty can be likened to the Lord? God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints and to be held in reverence by those around him. O Lord God of hosts, who is mighty like you, O Lord, your faithfulness also surrounds you. Also, I've quoted this scripture a lot for you recently. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Lamentations chapter 3 verses 22 and 23. Through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And finally, 2 Timothy chapter 2 verses 11 through 13. This is a faithful saying. For if we died with him, we shall also live with him. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. Father, this is just an awesome message. Lord, uh, I will stand here before your people and testify, Lord, that you are always faithful to us. But Lord, our problem is we're not always faithful to you. So Lord, help us to think and meditate upon your faithfulness to us. And Lord, we in turn need to be faithful to you. You will never turn your back on us, Lord, unless we once and for all turn our back on you. And Lord, I pray that you would just burn this into our hearts today. And uh, Lord, just anoint this message and uh, give us ears to hear what your spirit would say to the church this morning. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, as you well know, we've been recently looking at praise as a weapon to defeat the enemies in our lives. The theme verse for this series has been, Let the high praises of God be in their mouth and a two-edged sword in their hand. I focused on the kind of praise known as adoration. And that's where we praise God for who and what He is. 
And to do this, I've been going through a list of the what are called the attributes of God. God has attributes, just like every one of us have attributes too. You know, not only what we look like physically, but also what we are in our character. And God wants us to have a character that is more like Him. Amen? How many of you want to be more like God? That's what He wants us to do. He wants us to be more like Him. Okay? Now these attributes include, but are not restricted to, love, holiness, justice, faithfulness, which we're going to start on today. I was also thinking today about his immutability. What's immutability? Immutability is the fancy word that means unchangeable. God does not change. We change, don't we? Hopefully we're changing for the better, but God never changes. You can always depend on him. Also, his truthfulness. You can go to God anytime and get the truth, the straight story. Eternity, God is eternal. And we are eternal now too. Although we had a beginning, we are eternal. And we're either going to dwell with Him forever in eternity or apart from Him eternally. The choice is, up, uh, is ours. And then there's the what I call the omni attributes of God. Omni meaning all. He is omnipresent, everywhere present. He is om omnipotent. He's all powerful. And he is omniscient. He knows all things. So because he's omnipresent and omniscient, don't think you can hide away from him because you can't. And in future messages, I'm going to look at these other attributes. Spent three Sundays each on speaking about the first three of those attributes. God is love. God is holy. And the last three weeks, I've been spending it on God is just. So today we move on to that fourth attribute, the faithfulness of God. First of all, I say by way of introduction, what do we mean when we say faithful? You know, I uh, was looking up as I prepared, you know, in, in, I, I start writing these messages on uh, Saturday and I never know what direction God is going to take me. I kind of had, have a general idea, but then I start writing it, and then, you know, uh, it's, it's amazing, you know. I, I kind of looked up the word faithful, you know, up on the internet to find out some synonyms, and I came across two of them. Uh, means to be loyal or devoted. So when we speak of God, it means he will always be loyal and devoted to us. He will never turn his back on anyone in this life, not in this life anyway. You know, Jesus said, what did Jesus say? He said, he that comes to me, I will in no wise, who knows that first? I will in no wise 
cast out. You turn to Jesus. He is always ready there to greet you with open arms. We'll take a look at the uh, parable of the prodigal son at the end of the uh, uh, passage to show us that. The only time he will ultimately turn his back on someone is at the point of their point of death when they have made it plain to him that they do not want a relationship with him, either now in this present life or in eternity. And as I, I've been telling you the last few weeks, brothers and sisters, that's what this life is all about. Are you on God's side or are you not? Do you want his will or do you want your own? If you insist on getting your own way, in fact, making you your own God, you're joining the enemy's rebellion against him. And that was that first temptation. You know, partake of the forbidden fruit, Eve and Adam, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Ye are gods, you shall be, be as gods. And that's the problem with people is they set themselves up as their own God and they want their own will and not God's will. Now when we speak of being disloyal or not devoted to someone, it means we have done this. We have turned our backs on that person for whatever reason. And this has special reference to a covenant or contract. What's a covenant or contract? It's an agreement between two people, two parties. We especially think of loyalty to our spouse in the marital covenant. Unfaithfulness is one of the few grounds for divorce according to the Bible, especially in the New Testament. And unfaithfulness, usually we refer to unfaithfulness in terms of marital infidelity. One or both parties commit adultery against the other one. With God, there are two covenants that he has made with mankind. The first was the Old Covenant, or Old Testament, which was made with the Hebrew people. Most of us today uh, equate the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, with the Ten Commandments. In reality, the Old Covenant was far more than that. The first five books of the Bible, you know, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers and Deuteronomy, those are called the Pentateuch. Pentateuch meaning five, five books. Genesis dealt with the covenant that God made with Abraham. And then starting in Exodus with the covenant that God made with the nation of Israel. So the, those five books... Incidentally, uh, by the way, you know, if you were born into a Jewish household, particularly if you were a male child, you would be, spent many, many, many hours reading through and memorizing those first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch. That's just part of their curriculum. Now, Kind of a summary of the Old uh, Covenant is found in Deuteronomy chapter 28, which is the blessings and cursings of God. 
blessings if you follow the terms of the covenant and cursings if you did not. Now, it's interesting because there's 68 verses in there, so I'm not going to take the time to read through it. By the time I'd be finished, you'd be bored to tears anyway. So, it's interesting, though, to me, that only 14 verses in there are devoted to the blessings under the covenant. But 54 verses of the 68 deal with the cursings. So God takes this old covenant that he made with Israel, he took it very, very seriously. Now God is always faithful to his covenant. His cov- I should say covenants because there's two covenants, right? The Old Testament and the New Testament. We have this saying, you know, you can take it to the bank. Anybody heard that expression before? You can bank on it. What does it mean? It means I absolutely guarantee this. It's going to happen no matter what. And this describes God's fulfillment in terms of these covenants. Now, I've shared with you a lot of 1 John 1, 9. Uh, and this is part of the old covenant, which says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know, many times we read that simply that God forgives us when we confess our sins. And that's basically what it means. But one of the things that you need to ask yourself is, why should God forgive me when I uh, uh, confess my sins? You you know, uh, I have told you before, brothers and sisters, the writings of uh, John the Apostle in his gospel and in his uh, three epistles, and of course the book of Revelation too, are by and large, well, Revelation is a little bit more comp- complicated, but uh, by and large, uh, you know, uh, John's writings are very simplistic, you know, very simple language. Anybody can read them and understand what he's talking about. But at the same time, they're very deep. And you can literally spend hours thinking and meditating on that. And so this is the question you should ask. You know, if uh, God is going to forgive my sins when I confess them, you know, why should he do that? And the middle part of the verse tells us that he is faithful and just to do it. When I was talking about the justice of God the last few weeks, I pointed that out. That what happened with the new covenant, which is detailed just a couple of verses before, If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ keeps on cleansing us from all sin. Talks about in the book of Hebrews that a covenant is inaugurated through blood. It was inaugurated through blood, the special sacrifices that 
Moses took and he sprinkled the uh, book of the law, the, the old covenant, and the people. So that was inaugurated through blood. And the new covenant is inaugurated through the blood of Jesus Christ. And the new covenant strikes that perfect balance between the love of God and the justice of God. The justice of God is all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death, separation from God. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Okay, so I told you, you know, the blood of Jesus Christ and the inauguration of the new covenant strikes the perfect balance between God's love. God loves us. He doesn't want any of us to be eternally separated from him, That's, which is his justice and his mercy, his grace. So the justice of God was satisfied. I, I spent a lot of time talking about that in, in the last couple of weeks. But the other thing is, he is faithful. In addition to being just, he is faithful. You can take it to the bank. You believe and receive what he did on the cross. Your sins are forgiven because he is faithful to that new covenant. So, he is just. His justice was satisfied. And he is also faithful to us. And this faithfulness is rooted in his very nature. The Apostle Paul wrote to... Timothy, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 11 through 13. This is a faithful saying. For if we died with him, we shall also live with him. Remember, he wants us to die to ourselves. Die to our self-will. That's what picking up the cross means. When he talked about, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself. Pick up his cross and follow me. That's how you die with him. We shall also live with him. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. And if you don't receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are in effect denying him. And that's when he denies us, that is, he turns his back on us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. Even though we break this covenant with him, he is still faithful. He cannot, because he cannot, deny himself. So for God to be disloyal to his covenants would be completely contrary to his very nature. He would, in effect, be denying himself and who he is and what he is. Now, there's a similar case with his next attribute, which I'm going to get into in a couple of weeks, his truthfulness. He cannot lie. You know, that's what Hebrews chapter 6, verse 18 tells us. It says that God cannot 
lie. He always has to tell us the truth. You know, this is kind of con in contrast with uh, the Islamic God Allah, because, you know, believe me, I studied uh, Islam for a period of time. I, try, I was trying to understand what made people crazy enough to crash planes into buildings thinking that, you know, God, uh, this, their God Allah was going to approve of that and reward them with a, uh, you know, eternity in paradise with their 72 virgins. You know, what made people that, cra that crazy to think, think that very thing? And it's because their God, Allah, is very fickle. And he has no qualms about contradicting himself. That's why we don't believe that God, you know, contradicts himself in his word, the Bible, Right? Because God cannot lie. He cannot give one story uh, at one time and then change his mind and change, uh, change it to another. And this is re related to that other uh, one that I just told about, his immutability. God does not change. So, for God to do these things, to violate that covenant, would be, uh, uh, be for him to deny who he really is. So, God would lie if he reneged on his co uh, covenants with us, right? He'd be lying. And that, doing something like that, would uh, uh, do something contrary to who and what he is. Okay, now we, we on the other hand, break our covenants with him. Many times we break our marital covenant too. Uh, and as an example of uh, the way that people break covenants is go back to we, going back to the old uh, covenant. Um, you know, the uh, nation of Israel after the death of Solomon split up into two kingdoms. You know, if you uh, you know, we've been talking about that on our Wednesday uh, Bible studies when we went through the book of Kings. It split into the northern kingdom of Israel, which eventually set up Samaria as their capital, and the southern kingdom of Judah, which kept Jerusalem as their capital. And the book of Hosea, you know, is a very interesting book. You know, if you ever read through the Old Testament, you'll come to the book of Hosea. And there's a very interesting uh, tale that was written by the Old Testament prophet Hosea. Hosea was one of the minor prophets. You remember I was talking about Micah uh, last week. You know, and uh, the minor prophets are the books that uh, follow the book of uh, Daniel. There's 12 of them. And uh, end with the book of Malachi and the Old Testament in our Bible. Okay, now Micah, you know, is found right in the middle. But Hosea is the very first one. It's found right after the book of Daniel. If you want to go home and read it. And Hosea talks about this really strange story. And you know what happens? God tells him to go out and marry a prostitute. Say what? God told him to marry a prostitute. And her name was Gomer. You read about that in chapter 1 of Hosea. And she bears him three children. 
And then you know what he do- she does? She runs out on him. She takes off. Leaves him and the children behind. Chapter 2 tells the reason why God told him to marry this prostitute who would ultimately be unfaithful to him. You think that God didn't know that she was going to be unfaithful to him? God knew that. That's part of his omniscience. He knows everything. He knew what she was going to do. And this was God's object lesson to that northern kingdom of Israel. He, in effect, in the old covenant, he has become the husband and she has been, uh, it was to be the wife. And God says, this is exactly what you have done to me. You've run out on me. You've gone out and served these other gods. We talked about in this in the return of gods, serving Baal and the Ashtoreths. And ultimately Moloch, the god of child sacrifice. And he said, the, the, the same way you feel, Hosea, right now with your wife running out on me, is the way that I have felt for the last 300 years. Because that nation of Israel, Samaria, has run out on me. So that's a word picture representing the relationship of Israel to God under the Old Covenant. And God tells Hosea, just as your wife ran out on this marriage covenant, so Israel has done the same to me in my covenant with her and served these other gods. And then God tells Hosea in chapter 3, he says, go out and look for your wife. And he goes out and finds her and finds out that she has uh, uh, hired herself out to what we would call a pimp today. And he said, well, you've got to buy her back. And he buys her back for 15 pieces of silver. And she is restored to him. And the meaning of this is that God is still faithful to Israel, even though Israel has been faithless to him. You know, the same thing about this about people hiring themselves out to these uh, people, that's happening today with these people that are coming across the border into America from these Central America countries and really all the nation, nations all over the world. They hire themselves out to these drug cartels. And just like Gomer... Hosea's wife, they made a deal with the devil. And this is the way the devil does, is you, in effect, hired yourself out to him. And it's really sad because many of them are women that are forced to sell their bodies, even children who don't really even have a choice in the matter. And even the men, they're subservient to these drug cartels. They tell the people that they helped get across the border, you owe us a great debt. You've got to work it off. And if you don't work it off, then we're going to kill your family back in, in your home in Central America or wherever. You know, it's really sad. This is what Satan does 
is he seeks to put us under bondage. One of the uh, sermons that I remember my first pastor with the Assemblies of God, uh, George Gregg, was called the slave market. And he talked about how we are selling ourselves out really cheap on the devil's slave market. But I've got news for you, brothers and sisters. Jesus Christ came to set us free. Everybody say that. Jesus came to set me free. You will know the truth and the truth shall make you free. God wants you free. Amen. Okay. Now the pot, by the time that Hosea wrote his prophecy to the northern kingdom of Israel, also known as Samaria, which was the capital, it was already too late for them. They were too far gone, and God's judgment had become inevitable. Let me just read a, a few verses out of uh, uh, Hosea chapter 1, starting at verse 6. And she, this is referring to Gomer, his prostitute wife, conceived again and bore a daughter. And God said to him, call her name Lo-Ruhamah, for I will have no more mercy on the house of Israel. Lo-Ruhamah means no more mercy. I will have no more mercy on the house of Israel. I will utterly take them away. It was already too late by that point. You know, Hosea was writing this about the same time as uh, what I was talking about with um, Micah, you know, contemporary of, uh, of Isaiah the prophet during the reign of Hezekiah. And uh, this is in the latter half of the uh, 8th century B.C., you know, between about 750 and 700 B.C. And it happened because the Assyrian Empire came and raided the northern tribes and carried many, many of them off to different lands through Assyria, you know, the Assyrian captivity. And... Uh, Reading on further there. But I will have mercy on the house of Judah. This is, Judah is, the, remember, the southern kingdom. And will save them by the Lord their God. And will not, and will not, will not save them by bow, nor by sword, nor by battle, by horses, nor by horsemen. I'm going to save Judah. Their apostasy isn't as great as the northern tribe, I'm going to save them. And you know, this was literally fulfilled because after Assyria ravaged the land of north, the northern tribe and carried people off into captivity, they also came down and they were doing the same thing to Judah. But God said, I'm going to save them. And I'm going to do it not by these implements of man, bow, sword, battle, horses. I'm going to save them. And you know that literally came true? You know what happened? 
They came up and besieged Jerusalem. And Hezekiah the king went to Isaiah and said, Lord, deliver us. And God told him, I'm going to deliver you. And you know how he delivered it, uh, them? He sent an angel of the Lord. You can read about this in Isaiah chapter uh, 37. It's also found in uh, 2 Kings and 2 Chronicles. God sent an angel to the camp of the uh, Assyrians. And you know what that angel did? In one night, he killed 185,000 Assyrian soldiers. And they woke up the next morning and everybody was dead. So their king, Sennacherib, had to go back to Assyria and he got his just dues. He was killed by two of his sons while worshiping in the house of his false god. You don't trifle with God, brothers and sisters. God has ways of delivering you. Reading, continuing to read on there. And now when she had uh, weaned Loruhamah, she conceived and bore a son. Then God said, call his name Loami, for you are not my people. Loami means not my people. Loami, you are not my people, and I will not be your God. So God was turning his back on Israel. They had just gone too far. They had turned their back on him as a nation long before. And this leads us to, to this. Okay? God's judgment by this point had become inevitable. So he turns his focus from his uh, faithfulness to the nation of Israel and turns it to his, his faithfulness to each one of the individual people within Israel. He called that the remnant. The nation as a whole had turned completely away from God. But God, uh, the, uh, you know, the word of God always teaches a remnant. Because God is always, his spirit is always going to search out and find people whose hearts are right with him. This is, you know, maybe going to happen to us as a nation. I don't know what's going on. The way things have happened right now, God used Assyria, and later on, when Judah turned its back on him, then he turned his back on Judah too and sent the Babylonians. And the same thing may happen to us. And who's his instrument of judgment? Well... As I see it, it might be that Chinese Communist Party. And they are gearing up for war right now, brothers and sisters. And they are teaching their soldiers, we're the Chinese, we're superior. You know what China used to call itself? Way back in its empire days, they called themselves the Middle Kingdom. In other words, we're the center of the earth and all the other nations revolve around us. You know what? President Xi is using that exact same term. And this is what they are teaching their soldiers. We're the middle kingdom. 
We're going to dominate the rest of the world. And what are we teaching our soldiers? We're teaching them critical race theory. And that the United States, which is in effect is saying the United States is not worth defending. These are serious times, brothers and sisters. And I'm a, a, a miss if I don't, as your pastor, warn you about what's going on. Because I am really scared right now. I'm scared, you know, for our nation. I still have faith in God. God is going to take care of each of us. But he may turn his back on the United States of America like he turned his back on the nation of Israel and later the nation of Judah. Did you know in our military, you know what they're doing right now? Is they are paying for transgender people to join up in the military and then they give them these free uh, sex change operations. So your tax dollars are going out to give people, you know, sex change operations. Very serious. And God is not, and like I've told you, God is not going to put up with that. Hallelujah. Praise Him. He's going he's gonna to take care of us though. Okay. So God changed his focus uh, from his faithfulness towards the nation of Israel to his faithfulness towards the remnant. That is, in spite of the multitudes that had turned their back on him, he would still hold his hand out to those that reached out to him in repentance. Now, over a hundred years later, Jeremiah would write these things about uh, because the same thing happened to Judah. Like I said, uh, uh, a little over a hundred years later, the same thing happened to Judah that happened to Israel. And he wrote this to the remnant of uh, Judah, the southern kingdom. He writes in uh, Lamentations chapter 3, verses 22 and 23, Though the mer Lord's mercies, through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning, Great is your faithfulness. You know, the first song that we sang this morning when we came in, you know, great is thy faithfulness. Okay? God's faithfulness is great. Now, Jeremiah is called the weeping prophet. God gave him these visions about what was going to happen to the nation of Judah. And he told them, you guys need, you know, uh, to surrender to the Babylonians who were coming through and ravaging the land again. And he says, you need to surrender to them. You surrender to them, they'll deal gently with you. And they, uh, the people got mad at him. They accused him of being a traitor. Some of the princes of Judah took him and they threw him into this dry cistern, this dry well. And there wasn't any uh, water in them there, but there was a lot of mud and he sank down into the mud. And somebody went to King Zedekiah and says, uh, King, you need to get him out of there. He's going to die there. He's going to uh, uh, die of thirst or uh, starvation. And so Zedekiah allowed them to take him out, brought him before him, 
And he said, what do you say, uh, uh, Jeremiah? What should we do? And Jeremiah told him, you need to surrender to the Babylonians. Well, they didn't. And uh, the Babylonians eventually besieged Jerusalem, finally broke through, took a number of the people captive, broke down the wall and ravaged the temple. They burned it to the very ground. You know, they'd been told... If there was gold in between the uh, uh, the uh, stones there, so they pulled down every stone, and the temple was completely destroyed to the ground. Did they find the gold? Nope, no gold. There wasn't any gold. It was just a ruin. You know, the same thing happened with uh, uh, King Herod later on after the uh, time of Jesus. And Jesus' prophecy was literally fulfilled. Not one stone will be left on top of another. Okay? So, even though the people there in Judah lost their nation, God said, if you're still faithful to, uh, to me, you know, the remnant is left over, those that turn to me in faith, I will deliver uh, to deliver you. Okay, I'm almost finished here. The parable of the lost or prodigal son. I've shared with you, uh, you know, the story behind this parable before. Uh, the prelude before this was, uh, this is the third and final parable uh, that you find in Luke chapter 15. The prelude to this is Jesus was up there, he was teaching he was eating and drinking with the uh, tax collectors and other sinners. Horrible people, you know. And the scribes and Pharisees, you know, he was teaching them. Scribes and Pharisees came to him and said, You're t- talking to these people. You should have no dealings at all with them. They're lost, you know, because of their sins. But God uh, never turns, again, God never turns his back on us, no matter how great our sin may be. And so the scribes and the Pharisees complained about this, and Jesus responded by telling three parables. The parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost silver coin, and finally the parable of the lost son. Okay, the lost sheep. You know, sometimes I think God created sheep just to show us what we're like apart from Him. You know, sheep are totally defenseless. They have no sense of impending danger. That describes us. You know, they get lost, they can't find their way back. They don't have any homing instinct. The shepherd has to go out looking for it. And that's the way we are too. Is we don't have that homing instinct to return to God. We don't have a natural defense. We can't defend ourselves against the enemy of our souls. We have to rely on the Lord Jesus Christ. So the shepherd... The shepherd represents Jesus Christ going out and looking for the lost sheep. He finds it, brings it back, and, you know, 
says, everybody rejoice with me. I found my lost sheep. He left the 99 behind to go out and find that lost sheep. Jesus is always looking for the lost sheep. And Jesus concluded by saying, so it is in heaven, the angels in heaven, you know, uh, rejoice more over one lost sinner that uh, uh, find, finds, you know, the, the shepherd or is found by the shepherd than the 99 uh, that didn't need repentance. Second parable, parable of the lost silver coin. Remember the symbolism of metals in the Bible. Gold represents God and God's nature. Silver represents man. Well, what's on the silver coin? You've got an image there, right? That's the image of God that's imprinted on every person, regardless of their skin color. Everybody has that image of God. And this time it's a woman that goes out and looks for it. The, the woman in that case represents the church. And it's telling us as a church, we need to go out and seek and save that which is lost too. And the same thing happens again. She finds that silver coin and she calls all of her neighbors together and rejoice with me. I found my coin that is lost. But the third and final parable is maybe the most famous of them. The lost son. The lost son was in a stable household. He had it made. But at the same time, he got seduced by the empty glamour that uh, the world offers. And he thought that maybe he was wasting his uh, life away. I want to go live it up. How many people are like that? I'm going to go out and do my own thing. And so he get, got his father to give him his share of the inheritance. Just a few days later, he takes off for the tall timber, finds the city, and there wait, spent his, or in actuality, wasted all of his money on this riotous living. And when his money was all gone, along with his fair weather friends, by, by the way, he had a lot of friends that were there helping him to spend his money. And they were fair weather friends. Once he lost his money, they were gone. He hires himself out to a certain farmer. You know who the farmer represents? Satan. He, rep he represents Satan. And it's the same thing, you know, you hire yourself out to the devil. You're just continually laboring away and not getting anywhere. It says he, he was hungry. He wanted to even eat the pig's food, which wasn't really digestible. And says no one gave him anything. That's what happens when you hire yourself out to the enemy. Found nothing to satisfy his hunger. And that's what happens to us too when we try to serve our enemies. The our enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil. But then it says, 
he came to his senses and he realized just how good he had it under his father, who, you know, his father is representative of God himself. And he, then he made the decision to return to his father. And his father had been faithfully waiting up for him to return. And at that time, it says that he spied him when he was still far way off. How did, he, how did he happen to be looking there? He'd been looking all along for the return of his lost son. Saw him afar off, according to the parable. Ran up. You know, that was undignified back then for an old man to do any running. So, the old man didn't care. He only cared that his lost son had come forward. He ran up, embraced him, kissed him, and he ordered sandals to, for his feet. You know, the Bible talks about, uh, you know, in the whole armor of God, what do the shoes represent? The gospel of peace. He received his salvation by the sandals. Another thing he did is he threw a robe around him. I've talked about the robe of righteousness. Amen? That's the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And God gives us that robe of righteousness when we return to him. And he gave him a signet ring. Signet ring says, I'm the son of the father. Now don't ask me if the father had a new one made up for him. I really, really think, you know, and of course, you know, we're just getting kind of a synopsis in the Gospel of Luke of the parable, that, the story that Jesus told. And I really think that he probably, when he left, he took his signet ring off and, you know, left it behind. I'm no longer your son now. And he went off, did his thing, and then realized exactly how much he was blessed by having that man as his father. So the father took that, maybe that uh, signet ring that he'd left behind and puts it back on his finger. You're back to being my son again. And then held a great feast to celebrate the fact that he returned. Now, to conclude this, two things are taught about uh, in this parable. First of all, no matter how far we stray from God, he will never forget us. And he will never be unfaithful to us. He will always be faithful to us. In fact, you know, we call this parable the parable of the prodigal son. You know, a better title might be the parable of the faithful father. Because God is always faithful to us. He's always ready to embrace us with his open arms if we would just be willing to return to him. One last thing I wanted to share with you is I know this happened to me through experience. 
when I was 22 years old. As a member of the U.S. Air Force, and I was stationed over in Thailand. First time I went there. You might say, well, you know, being there in Thailand, boy, Cliff, you must have had a great ministry. No, I didn't. I was far away from God at the time. I was, too, was seduced by the empty glamour of the world. And the Thailand at that time was kind of commonly described as a single man's paradise. And I was a big pothead while I was over there. Even more alarming is I was going downtown and chasing after the women, too. I've been there. You know, you may look at me and say, Cliff, you'd never do that. Yes, I did do it. But God was always, he was dropping subtle little hints. One of them, when I boarded a bus to uh, go downtown, chase after those women, and there's this Thai army fellow that passed this uh, little track to me. And it's a little chick track. I don't know if any of you have ever seen it. It was entitled, Somebody Loves Me. <laughs> and I think that, uh, you know, Christians there had been passing these around to the Thai people because, uh, you know, this particular tract had almost no word. In, you know, they couldn't read English anyway, but, you know, it was kind of a word picture. And it, it showed this uh, young boy, maybe about six years old, and his drunken father was sending him out to this driving rainstorm to go and beg uh, money so the father could go out and uh, uh, buy alcohol and drink himself. So the child goes out there, maybe he spends hours or something like that, only gets a, uh, one small coin, brings it back to his father, and his father in a rage just beats him savagely. Then takes him and throws him out into the driving rainstorm. Well, the little boy somehow is able to crawl. He finds himself a cardboard box and gets underneath it, you know, shelter from the rain. And then as it clears up, you know, this uh, little uh, note flies by in the, the wind and it said on there, Somebody Loves Me. And that was the title of the track, Somebody Loves Me. And then these two Christian, you know, children walk by. He holds it up to, what, what's this mean? Somebody loves me. And they said, Jesus loves you. And then he lies down. Jesus loves me. And he dies. And the angels come and take him up to heaven. God spoke to me through that track, brothers and sisters. God said, I know where you are. I know what you're doing. And I still love you. And it be because of things like that that brought me back. I got back from Thailand and I got things together with the Lord. I'd been saved when I was eight years old, but I had strayed so far away from Him at that point. 
I was that prodigal son. And if you're a prodigal son or prodigal daughter here today, God sees you and he wants you to come back to him because he is always faithful. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah.